Welcome to the Search for Truth podcast, where we take a look at the Word of God and its authentic application to our lives. I'm Pastor Young, and in our daily Bible studies, we will ask the question, what is truth? Where do I fit in the story? And what is God saying to the church? So grab a Bible and enjoy. Word up! Hey everybody, welcome to another episode, in fact, another season of the Search for Truth podcast. I am Pastor Young, and uh, I'm so excited to kick off yet another season of this podcast. We have crossed, uh, we've crossed into 1,500 uh, plus listeners. I want to give a quick shout out to a few folks. Um, I, I mean, I've, I've got a lot uh, of people that have reached out to me, um, have talked to me about the impact that the podcast has been making on them, especially in the um, in the handling of the oneness doctrine. Um, I, I want to give a shout out to the people that are listening out in Singapore. A shout out to the people that are listening in the Philippines. I've got some people that are listening uh, in Cyprus and in Spain. Um, I, I love you guys. I've got people that are listening in Kenya, in Ghana, in Uganda. I've got people listening in the Congo. Uh, all of my international uh, listeners, I want to thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for your faithful listening. And for all of my people that are stateside, uh, you know what? Go ahead and give yourself a little pat on the back, too. You earned it. Thank you for coming this far with me. We are far, far from being finished with this. Um, uh, as you all well know, last season um, we took apart uh, the oneness doctrine versus the Trinitarian perspective, um, and uh, we, I, you know, I, I've been talking about how we we want to handle doctrine correctly, and uh, it is the. I mean, it's literally the name of my podcast is The Search for Truth. We are searching not for the traditions of men. We're not searching for uh, what others have said is right or what others have said is true. But we are searching for what God says is true. And uh, before anybody you know, has anything negative to say about that, remember that Scripture itself says, Let God be true and every man a liar. God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. This is, uh, we have we have scripture that tells us that it, it we are we are going to come in contact with misleading voices, and uh, I am not saying that my voice um, is is the voice to follow per se. I'm not saying that uh, you know don't listen to anybody but me. I'm I'm saying I'm saying the exact opposite of that. I'm saying that mankind will fail you. I will fail you. Uh, I'm going to do my best not to. I'm not going to intentionally fail. But mankind, flesh flesh and blood, we will fail. But the Lord will not fail. His word will not fail. And so this is why we must hold on not to what men have said, 
not hold on to what uh, traditions have said, but we must hold on to what the Word says because traditions will change, perspectives will change, but the Word will never change. Uh, I, I also, before we begin, I, I want to uh, give another shout out to uh, my fellow podcasters here in Wichita. Um, I got a lot of love for John Calvin Chance and for Trey Cornwell. If you have not already listened to them, please go and visit the Steadfast Devotion podcast. They've been doing some really great stuff. I'm really proud of those guys. They've uh, ridden with me to a lot of Bible studies. We've seen some crazy stuff. Maybe they'll have me back on one day. Uh, <laughs> who knows? <laughs> who knows? But uh, and uh, and then also, um, I, I want to give a, a very very special shout out to Brother Nathan Beeler and the Uplift Podcast. Um, he's uh, he's doing a great work for God. I, I've enjoyed sitting with him. Um, I've I've recently recorded another episode with him, and um, man, what a great ministry! And, uh, and what an approachable man of God. Um, in fact, the uh, I don't know if you may notice or maybe, who knows, but uh, if, if the quality of my voice sounds any better uh, on this episode, it's actually because of Brother Nathan Beeler. Uh, he's upgraded equipment, and um, I, was, uh, I was glad when they said unto me, Brother Young, would you like to use my old microphone? And I said yes. So uh, anyways, hopefully this is sounding all right. But... Um, back to business. So last season, we talked about the oneness of God. We, uh, we talked about the, um, how, how Scripture has never made room for a trinity, uh, how Scripture has profoundly, consistently, always reaffirmed that God is one. He shares His glory with no one else, that there, uh, there could not be any co-equal if God is to remain God. Um, and, and and that is a staple that is we should say and can say and will say that's the foundation of our doctrine. Um, that is the foundation of the Old Testament, and uh, since the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed, uh, that would make the oneness of God as well the foundation of the New Testament. Jesus uh, being the incarnation, showing himself to be that one true living God. And as I said last uh, season, uh, if there were three, then we would have had three incarnations or we would have had three bodies. We would have had three saviors, but there was only one because there's only one God. Now, uh, a lot of people uh, have made a comment. They've been thankful that I gave uh, oneness its own season. And uh, I, I want to let you know that was by design. I, I feel that um, oneness has turned into nothing more than just kind of cannon fodder for people that like to debate. Uh, and it's, it's turned into kind of the intro for what is apostolic doctrine. And that is, of course, the death, the burial, the resurrection, repentance, baptism in Jesus' name, the infilling of the Holy Ghost by the evidence of speaking in tongues. But... Uh, oneness is a lot more than that. Uh, oneness is, like I said, it's our foundation. And so I felt as if uh, it deserves more than just a an early episode in a season where I'm going to harp on baptism so much and, and all of that type of stuff. I, of course, whenever we get to baptism and I start talking about the only biblical baptismal formula, I'm probably going to jump back on the oneness stuff all over again. But it's because this is not something that we have. This is who we are. This is not something that we discuss. This is who we are. 
it's a foundational uh, doctrine for us that separates us from everybody else. Now, uh, in this season, season four of the Search for Truth podcast, we are going to explore the new birth. And I really want to teach this new birth um, heavily in the Old Testament. Uh, some of this, I mean, I'm this this um, this particular episode. In fact, I am going to visit the New Testament a little bit, and uh, but but what I what I hope to show everybody is that our doctrine is not something that the Lord concocted in the New Testament, but rather this was something that the Lord ordained all the way from the Old Testament, and He fulfilled it in the New Testament for many apostolics. They know very little save Acts 2.38. And if it goes anywhere past Acts 2.38, they can't really help you much. Um, and, and I was in that position for many years. And the Lord you know, really challenged me one day while I was in prayer. And uh, I want to issue the same challenge to you as what God gave to me. The Lord was dealing with me while I was in prayer one day at my house. And he started talking to me about how I could, I could do a pretty good job of representing our doctrine as long as the people that I was speaking to agreed already with most of what I would say. And for many people, they're willing to teach Bible studies, but only Bible studies to folks that are already in church, ready, you know, ready and willing to teach Bible studies, but not to anybody that might raise a concern or raise a question or you know, challenge you in any way. <clears throat> I know it's going to get rough like this. <laughs> the Lord, the Lord went a little deeper with me. Said, "Look, you know, you you could you could even convert, you know, quite a few in the Christian movement. But I'm wondering, how would you do if you sat down with a Jew? How would you do uh, if I orchestrated you to minister to someone who is Muslim?" someone that practices Islam, how would you handle all of that, considering that the vast majority of what you pull from Scripture is only showing the fulfillment of what the Lord has designed rather than His intention and then the fulfillment, you see? So uh, allow me, um, as we go through this season, we're going to be in the, in the Old Testament quite a bit, and um, I... I, I feel like this is such a such a wonderful way of viewing the doctrine, uh, in that we treat the Bible as a whole, uh, and and that we show that the Old Testament was the promise, and then the New Testament was the fulfillment of that promise. So, we're going to start now. Buckle up and get ready for the Word. My first question that I want to really ask, I really want to start off with more of a rhetorical question, and that is, what is the purpose for doctrine? Uh, why, why are we not content for our churches to simply be social clubs or our churches to just be an area where we meet you know, like-minded, uh, kind and gentle people? Because we need kind and gentle people in our life. We need people that have a positive influence. We need people that you know, are able to smile and encourage us during difficult times. But why is it that we have beyond just the need for positivity? And I, I could pause here and talk about how many 
uh, how many folks are rooted so much in positivity that they can't handle rebuke and they can't handle uh, the growth that comes uh, with correction. And they, But anyways, I, I'm not going to get off on that, okay? I'm going to spare you for that. But um, why, why is it uh, that positivity is not enough? Why is it that the good influence of the church is not enough? Why is it that the love in the church is not enough or the song service is not enough or just a positive and encouraging message from the pastor is not enough? And we need all those things. But the church is empty without doctrine. And so why is it that doctrine is necessary? I'll tell you this, that doctrine is simply the instructions for salvation. Doctrine is, whenever you talk about doctrine, it is, this is, this is the root of it all. This is the core of it all, okay? And so, <clears throat> and so when we move into things like uh, the oneness doctrine, these are, like I said earlier, these are foundational principles. And whenever you look into salvation doctrine, this is the foundations of which uh, that we are saved by. These are the basic instructions that we are saved by. Uh, for some in, uh, in Christianity today, uh, it looks like simply believe and then nothing else. That's all right. As long as you believe, you will be saved. We've got scripture that has problems with that. We've got uh, some sects of Christianity that say, you know, as long as you uh, are a good person, uh, then, then as long as you work for God, you're going to be saved. And we've got some scripture that's got some problems with that. We've got some, uh, some branches of Christianity that say, you know, as long as you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, then you will be saved. And um, those things are necessary. Belief is necessary. Being a good person is necessary. Working for God is necessary. <clears throat> the only problem is, you know, if you are baking a cake and you leave out just one ingredient, Let's say that I'm baking a cake, and I've got the flour, I've got the um, the baking soda, I've got uh, you know the the salt, uh, I've I've got the milk, I've got the vegetable oil, and I just don't put the eggs in. My friends, you can call it a cake all you want to, but it ain't going to be a cake. If I if I pull one or what especially, what if I'm missing multiple ingredients? What if I say, all right, I'm going to bake a cake, and the only thing that I crack into the skillet or put into the mixing bowl is three eggs. I don't have flour. I don't have uh, baking soda. I don't have salt. I don't have, you know, all of the other stuff. I, it's literally just three eggs floating around. But, you know, as long as I call it a cake, everybody else is going to be forced to agree with me. Friends, this is the danger of an incomplete doctrine. The fact is that, that the message has been preached so long of tolerance that we are able to you know, just smile and wave while people teach falsehoods and they teach incomplete doctrines. And so this is why we need the entire counsel of the Word, we are, why we need the Old Testament, we need the New Testament. We need to see what the ordinances were before you even go there. We need to look at what are the ordinances that were against us that Jesus nailed to his cross. We're, we'll, get, we'll get there, but what are they? And, uh, and, and specifically, what did Jesus not nail to the cross? What was it that, that carries over from the Old Testament and is fulfilled in the New Testament? 
uh, my next question is this. Why do we say that the world is lost? Perhaps I could even start by saying, what is the number one hang-up with people who are seeking God but fail to be converted? Boy, that's a... (laughs) That's a million dollar question there. What hangs up so many people that they want to live for God, but something happens along the way and the conversion process goes wrong? I'll tell you for the majority uh, of people that I have dealt with, and uh, many of you know I'm a full-time Bible study teacher, full-time associate pastor here at FPC Wichita. And so I'm in people's homes constantly. I'm, I'm constantly at the dinner table with somebody, talking to them about the Word. And, and we, uh, you know, we see a lot of conversions here, uh, week in and week out. If, uh, you know, if we're not baptizing somebody every single service, every single week, something is wrong. And um, I, I've sat across the, many a table from many a good, good person. And what I have seen, the number one hang-up, the number one thing that derails the process seems to always come down to the fact that they have an issue coming to grips with the fact that they are a sinner. Coming to terms with the idea that they need salvation. You see, uh, the, the old term goes, if it's not broke, don't fix it. And so the problem with, uh, with many right now is that they have no idea that they're broke. They have no idea what they're lacking. They have no idea what uh, what it is that, that they even need because the voices of false doctrines have been so loud that have told them, as long as you believe you're going to be all right, the, the, the voices have told them, as long as you're a good person, you're going to be all right. And so in their minds, nothing is broke. Why would I need to fix it? That there's There's... There's no need for repentance. There's no need for baptism. There's no need to be born again. Why? Because I'm a good person. Because they told me I'm all right. Because they told me I'm going to make it to heaven. So, this may seem unnecessary, but uh, this is just going to be part one uh, of Paradise Lost. But I want to talk, first of all, about how we got lost. As we well know, I'm going to jump right in, okay? As we well know, whenever God created the heaven and the earth all the way in the beginning, if you could go with me to Genesis, you would see this process of creation. God forms the world from the, you know, he, he, he fills the oceans, he carves out the valleys and the canyons, he builds up the mountains, he, he gives the animals, he gives, the, uh, he gives the, the fruit trees, the grass, the herb yielding seed, and Let's, uh, let's read just a little bit, actually, in Genesis chapter 1. And I want you to take note uh, of this recurring phrase, okay? So let's jump, um, let's go to verse 11, okay, of Genesis chapter 1. Now, so far, God has already created the heaven and the earth in the beginning. On day one, there was light, although there was no sun. That light was shining from him, from the throne. God himself was the light. On day two, starting in verse six, we have a firmament that is created, just an atmosphere that God is going to allow uh, the growth to happen in. Day three in verse nine, 
God starts to put some order into place and he uh, and he gathers the waters together and he sets boundaries that this is where the sea will stop. You notice that that what God does at, at the beginning stages, there's no life to be spoken of. Uh, in the beginning, uh, there there's we, we don't read about the Lord saying, let there be elephants or let there be gorillas or let there be zebras. He doesn't, he doesn't start off with trees. He doesn't start off with any of these things. And, and I'm going to be cautious right now that I don't get off on a creation lesson here because that, I feel like probably we need that, but that's not the purpose of this episode. But notice that so far what the Lord has done, he's created earth terrain. He's created the atmosphere. He's given light from, the, from himself, from the throne. He's, uh, you know, divided the waters from above, the waters beneath, gathered together the seas. Everything that he's done so far, none of it has revolved around living things, whether it be plant or animal or man. There's nothing that can be spoken of so far that is, uh, that is, you know, we would consider alive. But in verse 11, this is where we see a transition from water and rock to now things that are going to be sustaining life, okay? This is the first, I, I know that we make everything revolve around mankind and it's simple, that, that's easy, it makes sense. We are mankind, so of course we want to find out where we are. If you look at a picture, inevitably, you're gonna find where your face is in that picture. So that's all right, that's, you know, it's, it's okay, it's human nature, but go to verse 11. This is the first introduction of something that we would consider living. Uh, to enter into the picture, and it's not man. Verse 11, And God said, Let the earth bring forth grass and herb-yielding seed, and the fruit tree, and look at this, the fruit tree, yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth, and it was so. And in response, the earth obeyed. The earth brought forth grass and herb-yielding seed after his kind. There it is again, after his kind. Now, uh, we, we see in the fourth day, God starts uh, putting lights in, in the heavens. You know, he, he gives us the stars, the, the moon, the sun, uh, one to rule the day, one to rule the night. And then the Lord, the Lord, starts, uh, the Lord starts giving us moving creatures, right, that has life and and. Uh, he says, let them bring forth, verse 20, let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life, the fowl that may fly above the earth and the open firmament of the heaven. God created great whales, every living creature that moves, the waters brought forth abundantly. And here it is again, look, after their kind. And every winged fowl after his kind. And God saw that it was good on the sixth day. The Lord creates the cattle. He creates the creeping thing. He creates the beast of the field. He creates man. And likewise, any time that we see something that is living, that God creates, we have this phrase, it is, you're going to reproduce after your kind. So this word kind, this is where I'm, I'm going to start digging a little bit. And I, I've already taken up so much time and I apologize, but just allow me to go here for a second. Kind is, is the root word, or the root word of kind, I should say, is kin, right? It is, it is how we discuss relative or relationships. Um, uh, someone that is, we call them kinfolk, people that, are, people that are like us, people that are cut from the same fabric as us. And so the idea here, of course, is that as God creates the first apple tree, 
uh, when the apple falls to the ground and the seed goes into the ground, remember, its seed is in itself. God is setting up a system now to where he doesn't have to come down and create every brand new apple tree, but he gives the seed of the apple tree to, to be contained within the apple. And whether you realize it or not, folks, I'm presenting to you already the gospel, and it's found all the way back in Genesis 1. Well, what do you mean? I'll tell you. The only way to get a new apple tree is that that apple is going to have to fall off the branch. It's going to have to fall into the earth, and it's going to have to die. This ought to sound familiar. John chapter 12, Jesus discusses, uh, you know, except the, except the grain of wheat uh, die, except it enter into the earth and die, it abideth alone. But if it will allow itself to die, if it will allow itself to get into the earth, and whenever it comes forth, it will bring forth much fruit. That's John chapter 12. This is the gospel all the way from the beginning. It is the death of the apple. It is the burial of the apple, the seed in itself. And it is the resurrection that brings forth a new tree. And the key that God is giving us here, what the Lord is programming into his creation is this idea that an apple seed is not going to bring forth a pear tree. That an apple seed is not going to bring forth a watermelon and so on and so forth. That whenever he, whenever he uh, created the, the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, he says, I'm gonna make sure that chickens don't give birth, don't hatch eagles, and I'm gonna make sure that whales don't give birth to dolphins. And I'm gonna, when it comes to the beasts of the field, uh, I'm gonna make sure that you know, the, the lion does not give birth to, uh, you know, to, to a, a, a donkey. And I'm gonna make sure that a man does not give birth to a beast. And, so on and so forth, it is, it is because God programmed us with our seed within ourselves. And we are going to reproduce after our kind. It is kindred. It is connection. It is one to another. It is our link that we are the same. It is you came from me and I came from you and we are all in this together. Now, we like all of that. We enjoy all of that. And as long as we are talking about the benefits to say, we're in this together. We're going to carry this load together. I, hey, I like that. I like the idea of kinship. I like the idea of kinship uh, if it comes to, you know, we've got a family fortune to inherit. Hey, <laughs> give me a DNA test. Bring me on Mari. Okay, test results show that he is kinfolk, and I say, yes, Lord, right? As long as there's something good to inherit, as long as there's something that we can benefit from it, we enjoy the idea of kinship. But the, the tables turn a little bit whenever you start to talk about, you know, kinship in terms of things that can pass down that are not so favorable. Whenever the conversation turns from, you know, an inheritance of some sort, and it begins to move and the doctor calls and the doctor rings your phone and says, there is a disease that we've discovered and it is hereditary. We found it in your parents or we found it in yourself and now we need to test your children. Now all of a sudden the idea of being kindred after the same kind, it, it takes a much darker tone. We are so excited to embrace it 
in its benefits. But whenever we start to realize that we inherit after our own kind both good things and bad things, that our perspective begins to shift. And whether you realize it or not, I'm heading us in this direction of how the world becomes lost. You see, the Lord gives a command to Adam and Eve. He says, in the day that you eat of this tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, in the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. That's in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 17. Now we know the story. Adam and Eve, they do partake of the fruit. They, uh, they do exactly what God told them not to do. They disobey the direct command of God. And remember, they reproduced after their own kind. They get themselves in this mess, but we know the story. As soon as they take a bite from that forbidden fruit, do they fall over dead? No. So my question is, did God lie whenever he said, you shall surely die? Well, in order for us to really answer that question, we've got to go to the New Testament for something. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, the writer Paul says to the Roman church, he says, know this, that the wages of sin is death. If you pull this into the Greek, he says the obsonion of hamartia is thanatos. That is the cost, the wages, the cost of sin, hamartia, it is disobedience. The cost of disobedience is thanatos. Thanatos in the Greek it doesn't mean that you stop existing. It doesn't mean the end of anything. But rather, thanatos means the cost is separation. Why do we call that death? The reason is because whenever you die, you don't stop existing. Your body still exists. We're going to bury it. We're going to cremate it. We're going to do something with it. Your soul still certainly exists because it's going to occupy either heaven or hell. But where, where we get this term death, thanatos, is whenever you die, it is the moment that your body and your soul separate from one another. And so what Paul is literally writing here in Romans 6.23 is the cost of disobedience is separation. You see, you cannot, this is why we have scriptures that say, you know, if somebody commits this particular sin, he, uh, he's writing it to the Corinthian church. He says, he, if, if he commits this type of sin, uh, don't worry, he's doing that outside of the body of Christ. That is to say, as soon as you commit uh, this disobedience, the cost of that disobedience is separation. Now, we know that Adam and Eve end up being separated from God proving that God did not lie whenever he kicked them out of the garden. Then the day you, you eat thereof, you shall surely die. What God was saying was, in the day you eat thereof, you shall be separated from me. But what happened to this whole kindred thing? What happened to this idea that uh, what you are fashioned after, what you are made after is, the, is what you are. It is your kindred. It is your kin. It is your type. Well, like I said, it's very easy for us to celebrate whenever our kindred nature is something that is enjoyable, something that we are happy to boast about, to say, I am a part of this. But the conversation turns, and we've got a call from the doctor that in Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, look at what it says. Wherefore, as by one man, that is Adam, 
sin entered into the world and death by sin, remember separation by sin, and so death, what? And so separation has passed upon all men for that all have sinned. This is the scripture that tells us that the world is lost. This is, this is not because whenever you were a baby, you did something wrong. It's not even because your parents did something wrong. It's because we are kindred to Adam. There's a reason why it is called mankind. We have inherited some of the good things. We've inherited the idea that God would love us. We've inherited the idea that God would forgive us, that God would make a way of redemption. So let's not forget that. But all the while that we are proud and we're thankful for the positivity, we're thankful for the good influences, we're thankful for the good music programs, let us not forget that the church is there for the sake of doctrine the instructions, the foundations to get us to realize what's broke and how we can fix it. Now, of course, I can't leave you on a dark note like that, you know, to say because Adam uh, was lost, because Adam sinned, and because Adam was separated, what the scripture just said was that at, since we are kindred of Adam, since we are, uh, since we are kin of Adam, since we are mankind coming from Adam, by the way, Adam in Hebrew literally means man, and so we are literally mankind. We are Adam kind. Um, that because of that sin, separation has passed down to all of us. And some have said that in Psalm 51, this is what David was referencing, saying that you know uh, I was born and shapen in iniquity and sin did my mother conceive me. That's debatable as to whether he was talking about that or not. Um, we can have that conversation another time. <laughs> But I can't leave you with something so negative. So let's look in the same chapter, Romans chapter 5, and then look at verse 17. Still in the same conversation, by the way. Look at what it says. For if by one man, that's Adam, if by one man's offense, death, separation, reigned by one, Adam, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. You see, you were born into this sin problem. You were born into, you were born this way. You were born with the kindred nature of separation between you and God. Now, this, what I'm doing is I'm laying the foundation so that as we begin to discuss the new birth we can understand why the Lord is using these terms that you must be born again. Why you must be born of the water and born of the Spirit. It is now I am changing your kindred. I'm changing your kind. That you will no longer inherit the separation from Adam. But you will inherit relationship from me. And I leave you with one more scripture as I close out for the day. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 22, it says this, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version. It says, For as in Adam all die, it says, So also in Christ shall all be made alive. Don't hang your head because of what family you're a part of. Don't hang your head 
and, and be so sad just because you're a part of mankind. But know that we have a promise within the doctrine. We have a way back to him. We have a way of changing our kindred to where by the end of it, it won't be what color you are. By the end of it, it won't be what gender you are. By the end of it, it won't be uh, what, what social status you have or what money background you have or any of those things because our kindred will supersede, it will transcend flesh and blood. And we, as we are born of water and spirit, we join a heavenly kindred. And now we are the sons and daughters of God. Guys, we're going on a great journey in this season. I hope that this has blessed you. Be sure to share, like, subscribe, write a review, do whatever you want to do. Uh, but send this to somebody, especially somebody that uh, needs foundational doctrinal teaching. And next time, we're going to get into the promise of Messiah, why Jesus came. God bless you all. See you next time.